0: Bridging your
1: Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timmery on Relevant Radio.
0: It's the feast day of St. Patrick. What a fun couple of days here. We have St. Patrick's feast day. I know many people are celebrating because... Many dioceses have given that dispensation that you can have meat on a Friday. Uh, This is always a really fun day in our home. I did yesterday's episode on how to celebrate St. Patrick's Day in your home, so catch up podcast. It's not too late to go home and do some fun things in your house. I know I need to still hide some little gold packs around the house um, for my daughter to find. I haven't made it that far, but we had our green lunch, and we'll have our corned beef and cabbage dinner. I explained some of the significance, at least for me in our home, with regard to some of these foods. It's very fun. So, catch that episode. The podcast is available uh, from yesterday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the life of St. Patrick and what he was up against, how to celebrate St. Joseph's feast day that's coming up the 19th normally. It's been celebrated on the 20th since. Uh, we usually don't celebrate major solemnities on the Sunday, if it falls on a Sunday. So it is pushed to the 20th just for this year. You're listening to Trending with Timory. We're also going to take up that argument I've been discussing all week about how important it is that we can respond to that claim of safe, legal, and rare when people say that's the type of abortion they want, and that's what they thought that the abortion movement was fighting for. But that is indeed not what the abortion movement wants. But some people claim, who claim to be pro, quote, choice, who are pro-abortion, but that, you know, they really are pro-life, but they do believe in safe, legal, and rare abortion. We'll knock that argument on its head, so stay with me. Joining me today on Trending is a longtime friend of Trending, and that is Rose Ray. She's a Navy SEAL wife, and she co-authored an incredible book, Defend Us in Battle, the True Story of MA2 Navy SEAL Medal of Honor recipient Michael a Mansour. Some people know about him, perhaps, because his story over the years has been well-chronicalized especially by well-known Navy SEAL Jocko Willink, um, former Navy SEAL Jocko Willink. The story is phenomenal. It's a book you have to read. And what's interesting is all this time, I didn't know the significance of faith that was behind the story of who Jocko Willink has referred to as Mikey for all these years and many of his stories. Uh, So without further ado, joining me today on Trending to talk about the incredible story of Michael Mansoor is Rose Rae. Rose, welcome to Trending. Hi, Timmery. It's so great to be with you. Now, the foreword of the book, the introduction of the book, was actually written by the former Secretary of the Navy, uh, that's how important this story of Michael Mansoor is. And what's fascinating is that faith intertwines itself throughout his entire life and taking him till the very end. I really believe just looking at this man, that what led him to make the ultimate sacrifice in his life was a life shaped by virtue, um, only done through his faith. So, Maybe kind of cut to the punch and talk about Michael's story, what led him to be known as the man he is today, and then we'll kind of go back and unpack some of his life as well.
1: Yeah, there's just so much. Uh, First, I'm just honored by, you know, your continual fight, Timory, for truth and life in every way, and that's why I guess I feel so touched and honored to talk about Michael's life because I think so many of us have that, you know, doubt that creeps in sometimes. Okay, well, what can I do, Right. What I do doesn't matter. People can do so much better things. Well, Michael was a Southern Cali boy. He loved to surf and play hockey, and he was goofy. And he was so young, 25 years old, Timory. But you know what? He had this drive. And one person, he was one person, but he affected the lives of so many. So many of his brothers came home from a war-torn deployment because of his actions. I mean... Oh my goodness, it's just, it's very inspiring.
0: Now, that's actually really fascinating because you mentioned this. He had actually, I know from having looked and read some of his story over the year, and now here's this book actually chronicling so much of his full life, that he had received a silver star for his action of coming to a comrade in need and really saving his life. And then he had the opportunity to go home not long after that. And instead, like you're saying, he actually chose to stay and fill the spot of one of the other Navy SEALs who was going to go home to see his wife who was having a baby. And so that's why Michael actually stayed longer in Iraq than he needed to. He was in Ramadi, Iraq, um, fighting the insurgency led by al-Qaeda at the time in Iraq. Um, This was a precursor to the Islamic State back in 2006. What happened in Michael's journey in those few days that he was there longer?
1: Yeah, so, you know, he, um, that's the beautiful thing. And in, in sharing this full story, Timmy, what readers, what readers will get a glimpse into is why. And what we're talking about here is the, the reason he was awarded the Medal of Honor in 2008 by President George Bush was because he jumped on top of a grenade that was thrown onto the rooftop where he was doing bounding sniper overwatch, with other Navy SEAL snipers, as well as a few interpreters, Iraq interpreters, he could have jumped the other way, timory but instead um, he, there was only one little area for him to move out, but the, all the rest would have been killed by the blast. So instead, in that split second, he jumped on top of the grenade using his almost six foot tall body to shield the entire blast as much as possible. And he died 30 minutes later, and all the rest of the gentlemen on the rooftop came home with their
0: lives. It's incredible when I hear just without a, like even a blink of the eye, like he goes, he jumps on the screen to aid. He does not hesitate. I and mean, it, we don't know fully, you know, we can't walk through that process with him because he's no longer with us. He made that sacrifice, um, for his brothers in arms here. Uh, but what's fascinating to me is that there was no deliberation. I mean, you had to be that kind of man, that kind of person to go. He could have saved himself. He didn't. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about how you guys unpack his life that help us to understand what formed him as a man of virtue to step into this role that he played as a Navy SEAL because it's obviously little acts of heroism and conquering his own desires, um, helping to save others in little ways with the things that he was willing to do that sharpened his virtue for what would lead to this ultimate sacrifice.
1: Back to the scripture, how does it go? I mean, I'm trying to remember it, but it says, you know, in scripture where it says, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And it's so powerful when we think that, my goodness, you know, our Lord who formed us in our parents' wombs already chose us, right? And then we make that choice. Do we say yes to our Lord or do we not? So even when Michael was born, Timory, and that's what leads up to this moment, his incredible parents, um, George and Sally, they chose Archangel Michael to name him after. And little did we know that his future would entail this type of intense, you know, valiant and gallant action. But even from the beginning, he had this incredible angel praying for him, right? We believe that in our Catholic faith, our namesakes, our confirmation saints, these guys are praying for us in heaven. And the day that he gave his life, there's no, you can't ignore this, but it was September 29th which is Mm. the feast day of Mm -hmm. St. Michael, the archangel. So I believe with my whole heart, not only was he so heroic with his virtue, himself as a human, but he had this incredible assistance by one of the strongest angels we know. So I just step back in awe. I just, it never ceases to amaze me of our, our Lord. But even as a little boy, which readers can, you know, discover along the way, he had asthma. He, you know, almost stopped breathing numerous times as a baby. His father, George, who did the story with me, would tell stories of him and Sally when they'd rush him to the emergency room in the middle of the night because he'd almost stopped breathing. And so it was not an easy road for his family. Um, there's three other children as well. Um, but he was a sickly boy, but he kept fighting, even as a little guy. And if, when he couldn't breathe well as he got older and had a um, struggle with asthma, he just kept pushing. I mean, you gave him a hurdle and he jumped. Or, you know, a mountain to climb, he said, how high? Literally. Like in the book, you see the cliff he's jumping off of. I mean, he just would not give up. So I think that he had this gift of fortitude through the his parents, and the the gift of our faith, they were a Catholic family and they had the sacraments and um, he
0: really fostered that as he grew older. And actually, when you bring up the sacraments, one of the stories about him uh, has to do with confession. That Very quickly, back in 2006, when he lands in Ramadi in Iraq, uh, he actually almost immediately sought out a priest for confession. And this part of his story, this is actually how I came across his story. Someone was talking about how courageous this man was and that he went to confession upon landing in Iraq and fighting in Ramadi. And the fact that he Rives seeks out a priest to go to confession, shows the humility and accountability in his battle readiness, not just on a physical standpoint in terms of what he was capable of as a Navy SEAL, you knowing this, you know, being the wife of a Navy SEAL as well, but the spiritual component, which I know has been a fundamental part of your family, but for him, you know, to have that spiritual component of having that accountability and confession, preparing yourself for battle and even death, can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Again, just going to the greatness of our Lord. I mean, and I met this priest. His name is Father Paul Halliday. I had the pleasure of interviewing him for the book. And it's not like he is this quiet gentle priest that just wants to, you know, sit away and read, which there's nothing wrong with those priests. We need every type of man out there. But this man like exudes masculinity and strength. And I'm like, of course, God sends him to Ramadi where these poor men, young men are fighting every single night. They're lining up to donate blood. I mean, it was crazy. The stories that these men tell me um, what they were facing. So there's a strong Catholic chaplain who's an incredible, incredible man. And yeah, so Michael finds him. The priest, you know, he sought him out. So Michael found him, knocks on his door, and he says, are you a Catholic priest? My name is Michael Monsoor, and I want to go to confession. And I was just, what? I mean, How? amazing because these young men i'm gonna be honest they're at the prime of their life they've done one of the hardest training you can do in the military they're flying at the top of the the world right nothing can stop them mm-hmm. so for michael to like you said for michael to just recognize the humility and the who knows whether we're gonna live like my soul needs to be ready to recognize that as a 25 year old boy heading to battle is beyond me i mean that that so, shows so much maturity, and even Father Paul they said he said it just showed such
0: character hmm. And I know you and I have talked about this before, being in the Navy SEAL world, um, just how today to be a Navy SEAL isn't an honor in the same way it was before, but how, you know, it's about, like, this capacity I have, like, this great physical endurance, what I can achieve, and without faith, we've lost that perspective of humility and accountability. So to hear a story, you know, in the early 2000s of Michael Mansoor and the sacrifice he made and the faith behind the man, it's really neat to to see that the necessity of having that faith in these positions of such capability, especially for men as Navy SEALs.
1: It, there's nothing so attractive as humility. I mean, in everyone, in a priest, in a mom, in a dad, in a soldier. I mean, there it's so beautiful, and it goes back to Uh, St. Michael, the archangel and Satan, right? These glorious angels, one felt they were so much better. They did not need to serve, right? And St. Michael comes and says, who is God? You know, or not who is God, who am I onto God? Mm -hmm. And he did serve. And it's like, so it's just so incredible to see. So Michael at the top of his game still understood who he was and what was coming after. And I think that's what was so powerful for anyone who hears his story is um, he was prepared Timory. he was prepared even you know the, the when he rushed out to save his friend in a barrage of bullets where he got the silver star, he had just gotten there. He'd been there like a month, but he was absolutely willing to sacrifice at all cost and not because he didn't value his life, because he valued life so much. And to me that is just that is something else. I mean that is a that's got to be a spiritual uh, virtue right there.
0: It was neat listening to an interview recently with Jocko Willink who was, I believe, his command sergeant Michael Monsor's command sergeant at the time, correct? Commanding officer, yeah His commanding officer. Um, It was neat because, you know, Jocko, coming from not a Catholic, you know, perspective uh, was talking a little bit about the St. Michael part of the story and specifically where it's St. Michael who's known as we know as Catholics for having cast out a third of the angels who chose to follow Satan and you just pointed to, I think, a really significant moment um, in the story of salvation history, pointing back to this battle in heaven between Satan and Michael, and that it was Satan who said, non-servium, I will not serve. And it was Michael who said, servium, that he would serve. He chose to serve God. And that's the choice in our culture today. We can achieve incredible things, even without God. But that doesn't make us a good person. And I think that mm-hmm. that's the challenge. Like a lot of people today say, well, like I'm a good person, right? And they almost sometimes use that to justify. The good and the bad they do, right? Um, But what Michael's story encompasses is that he wasn't just serving himself and his capabilities as a Navy SEAL. He was truly serving those around him, his family, his country. It it went so much further than that for Michael in seeking out to protect even, you know, the most innocent himself.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, the respected George Weigel Called him a martyr of charity. I mean, he gave all out of love. And how many of us can say that we would do that? I don't know what I would do in that situation. I tell you right now, I'd die for my kids in a heartbeat, and I hope I would, but not all of us have been put in that situation. Mm. So that's why it's so moving to see, um, you know, what he did. And those men have families, and now they have more children. And that continues on for generations because of this act. So I think, you know, like Pierre Frassati was such an inspiration, and he still is right, uh, for the youth, because he was this young mountain climber and so handsome. Michael, I pray, will be an inspiration for this generation. I mean, he was like all of us. I mean, he literally, you know, I'm 39. He'd be a couple years older than me, Timmery. And, you know, he wanted to have fun, and he, he embraced every moment that he had in this world, but he still was willing to say, our soil, American soil, has been attacked. Who should you send? Send me. He willingly went knowing the cost,
0: and he went anyway. Joining me now is Rose Ray. She's a Navy SEAL wife and the co-author of Defend Us in Battle that chronicles the story of Medal of Honor recipient Michael Mansoor. You co-authored this with his father, and I've listened to some of the interviews with uh, Michael's father. And it's interesting to hear, as you mentioned, his upbringing and how, you know, this is a kid who was a sickly kid. His dad never thought he'd become a Navy SEAL. Even when he entered into the Navy, this was not what he expected or even necessarily. Really hoped uh, for yeah. his son. And it's interesting hearing some of the stories, that you know, little stories, these little things where Michael was standing up for others, and he talks about a story of really courage, when Michael started to develop courage, when a bunch of kids showed up on the playground, they were picking on all the kids, and these bullies end up on the swings and kick all the other kids off, and he's talking to his dad about it. Uh, can you talk about that story between him and his father and what Michael ended up doing as a result?
1: It's so sweet. So, you know, again, and for listeners, you know, our parents are our world, right? When we're kids, like that's where we learn right and wrong and imitation. And so Michael is seeing these kids getting picked on. I think he was like eight or 10. He was young. And he said, Dad, what's justice? And his father, George, said, Michael, justice is for someone getting what they deserve, you know, good or bad, right? I mean, we all know that. I mean, it's just when a consequence uh, that follows the action that you gave. So he tells that to Michael and Michael's watching and he said, George says he could see his eyes just turning, right? His thoughts are are going in his head. So he, he sees these innocent little kids being picked on by the big kids on this fun play set. They're at these horse races. So as soon as the race ends, Michael takes off to George's dismay, wondering, where did my son go? But he sees him run back to the playground. The same kids are there making fun of and picking on the little kids and he takes it into his own hands and he starts kind of pushing the big boys off the swings and like standing up for the little man right those little kids couldn't defend themselves but he had a plan because then once he pushed him he starts taking off up the stairs to the slide (laughs) and he starts running and using his speed to try beat them out and they couldn't get him in time so then he runs back and he runs back to his dad and he says dad I think that's justice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. But he stood his ground. He shoves him off of the swings, and then he ends up at the top of the slide, and they all start coming up after him, and he knocks him and kicks him down the slide one (laughs) at a time. And not that we're saying that you you should be a bully. He wasn't being a bully. He was defending these other kids who have been completely attacked on the playground by these bullies. And I love it when you say he goes back to his dad, and he's like, that's justice, dealing out What someone deserves, good or bad. And I think that's what took him to Ramadi, took him to become a Navy SEAL, is that he was seeking justice. And that, in part, you know, if you think about the context of it, you know, he. I'm sure you know. Recognize you know. I can stay here a little longer. This man, his he has a wife. Uh, this man's having a child. I can stay here a longer in Ramadi while he goes home to see his family. That's just to him. He was giving another yeah. person in a certain respect his due, uh, and I think some yeah. of us would think like, oh, that is a charitable act in a certain respect, he was actually saying, no, I'm here. I can do this. You go. It's your due to be with your spouse and your new child. And then you see that justice go even further. Here he is. He's on the rooftop. And Ramadi, the grenade hits him in the chest, falls to the ground. And Michael sees the situation. I am the one who's capable of stopping this grenade from killing everyone. It is a just act to give everyone their life because that's something I can actually do here. And I don't think we often think about that as justice. Many people would think about it as charity. And I would argue, Rose, that it's both.
1: I agree 100% because what is the charity love without cost right love unconditionally love greater than yourself love your neighbor as yourself so I definitely agree with you Timory. I think it's both and again the one thing I want readers or listeners to understand here virtue is beautiful and we can try to cultivate it we cannot do that on our own though virtue itself is a gift through baptism even virtue is a gift from our Lord. So, you mm-hmm. know why? We wonder why some have heroic virtue and some are make terrible decisions all the time. Go back to the sacraments. They are our lifeline, lifeline to our Lord. And so where, where was Michael? He was at the sacraments. He was at confession. He was getting the Eucharist, even overseas. There's no accident that he could do, in a sense, what seems to us, these superhuman acts. Mm-hmm. God was so present in his life.
0: I keep thinking of the words in John chapter 15, greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. We may not be there yet, and I'm sure... At eight, ten years old, when he defended all those kids at the playground, he may not have been there yet to make the sacrifice he eventually would as a Navy SEAL in Ramadi, Um, but you have to work your way there in small sacrifices, and what you're saying is that this is through grace and virtue, and you can't do that by yourself. You need to pray for the gift of virtue, and you need to live that sacramental life, because grace is something completely unmerited. It is nothing we deserve. It is an absolute gift from God to allow us to make us capable of living his life here on earth
1: absolutely and i just read the neatest poem called opportunity Um, i gotta look up who the author was but um It was so beautiful because it talked about this guy with this sword. You know, this gentleman had a dream and he said, oh, if I had the better sword, I could win the battle. Right. And he threw it on the ground. It's like, oh, look to others. That's what Satan wants us to do. Oh, I can't do it. When the prince's son came upon the broken sword, he picked it out of the pile broken and he basically was and then he slew so many that day. He won a historic battle. And I was just so moved by that because I'm like, these seals, and again, the readers can get this in the book. You know, they were in a dilapidated building they called Full Metal Jacket. They barely had running water. I mean, they were in a mess. And you know what? They were having the time of their lives, living brotherhood together, fighting for um, Timory a just Cause you know, whatever uh, Washington did, whatever oil, I don't that doesn't matter. These men were on the ground and they were fighting people who were trying to kill them. That is a just
0: cause. Mm. That's a rose ray, the co author, along with the father of Michael Mansoor, the book uh, chronicling the life of Michael Mansoor. He, uh, incredible, incredible Navy SEAL who sacrificed his life, um, for his brothers-in-arms there in Ramadi, Iraq. You can find the book online. It's Defend Us in Battle. We posted a link uh, on social media. Just follow me at Timory T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, to grab that link or find it in the episode notes for today's show. Again, the book is Defend Us in Battle, the true story of MA2 Navy SEAL Medal of Honor recipient Michael A. Mansour, a Catholic coming from a Catholic family, and just seeing what led him to be able to make this ultimate sacrifice is absolutely incredible. Rose, thank you. Thank you for joining us today here on Trending. Coming up, we'll respond uh, to many people who say, hey, I'm okay with abortion as long as it's safe and legal and rare. What do you say? How do we knock that argument on its back? Also, happy St. Patrick's Day. I hope you're wearing green. We're going to talk about the man, the myth and the legend, St. Patrick himself and some really neat true stories about what he faced in Ireland. You're listening to Trending with Timree, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. Okay, this is your movie recommendation that you should watch it today because it is such an excellent movie, and I don't say that often. It was a movie that I was very proud to introduce my husband to, and that is The Quiet Man. If you've never seen The Quiet Man, you must see that movie. My producer Jim actually said that that's what they will do on St. Patrick's Day, so whether it's today or this weekend, you need to rent, buy, it's worth the buy, this movie, and watch it. It is phenomenal. Men, women, the whole family will love it. It is so entertaining. You're listening to Trending with Timmery. It's a true classic movie, so if you haven't seen it, you've got to watch it. It is the feast day of St. Patrick. We're coming up on St. Joseph in just a couple days here. I'll talk about ways to celebrate St. Joseph's feast day, but before we do, I really want to talk about the life of St. Patrick. If you're wondering how to bring the feast day of St. Patrick into your home and celebrate it, it's not too late wherever you are. Um, you can go ahead and check out my podcast with some fun tips on what to do today. So, St. Patrick is fascinating to me in respect to what we are facing in our culture today. Coming up on Monday, we're going to talk about the New Age and law of attraction. Uh, sp- the whole spiritual, not religious, culture, the um, tie in of witchcraft into a lot of things that we see today. Uh, it's significant. The demonic influence is real, and St. Patrick is someone who is very aware of that. St. Patrick, as we know the story, uh, he was taken into slavery, captured at the age of 16, and was taken to Ireland. Uh, He faced pagan kings and sorcerers in his lifetime. He was a slave there in Ireland. He eventually escaped, walking over 200 miles uh, to escape. And what later became a priest, eventually a bishop, and returned to the land of his captivity, Ireland, to convert the pagans. And I'm not just talking about any pagans. I'm talking about pagans that rival the horrible acts of the Aztecs. The Druids were so barbaric. The Druid religion, if you didn't know this, means knower of oak tree. They worshipped elements of nature as gods. They were the true early tree huggers, or worse yet, uh, tree worshippers. They had a very deep love for the environment, um, but they were confused about the environment. It's always fascinating because the human person is naturally oriented toward worship. Catechism of the Catholic Church talks about this at the very beginning of the catechism, if you start reading it. And it's true. In one way or another, we will always worship something. What will we worship? I think during the pandemic and COVID, people fell in line to the rules of what they believed would keep them healthy and safe during COVID. In a certain respect, they worshiped this idea of safety and health. I mean, we did. We fought. It it was just really interesting to see that it almost became our religion of the world for a moment there. Um, But in general, we all have those things we worship, whether we realize them and call them deities or not. Now, the Druids, again, worshipped the elements of nature. They were the early um, occult and dove into the demonic arts. Again, they rivaled the Aztecs. They actually searched through the dead bodies of animals, through the internal organs for knowledge. They sacrificed, literally sacrificed human beings. They would make these wooden wicker uh, images and things, and they'd stuff them full with people, with men, and they would burn these people alive. They would take altars soaked with human blood and do their ritual sacrifice. And this is how dark Ireland was. It was, the Druidism was just over exuding with the absolute demonic occult art. Now, here St. Patrick is, he decides to enter back into this fully knowing some of the significance of what was happening in Ireland. And he goes and he faces pagan kings. He faces sorcerers. And for those who say, oh, witchcraft and all of that isn't real, uh, yeah, it is. And I think sometimes in this imaginary world that is so wonderful to foster in children, we get to a point where we say, well, there really isn't such a thing as good and evil. And we actually ignore the fact that there are really evil, wicked things out there. And Druidism is where we have examples of demonic witches and warlocks. And so here St. Patrick is, he comes in, and with one man, he converts this great nation. The conversion of Ireland is attributed to St. Patrick. He didn't just go and talk to talk, he walked the walk. He fasted and sacrificed for the people of Ireland, leading to what we know today is Ireland having been this great Catholic nation for quite a while, And that was what was such a travesty about them legalizing abortion through popular vote in Ireland. It showed that um, Catholicism turned to cultural Catholicism, turned to Catholic in name, really muddied the waters on the morality of good and evil. And this is something we all risk when we claim to be Catholic, but then allow ourselves to incrementally be influenced by the culture by the devil pulling at us away from our faith. So what did St. Patrick do? One of the neat uh, stories I love about St. Patrick is the Easter fire. So during Lent, he went up to Mount Kirkpatrick, which is known, um, was renamed after St. Patrick himself. And he prayed and fasted for 40 days up on that mountain for the people of Ireland. And at the end of those 40 days on the Easter Vigil, when if you've ever been to the Easter Vigil service, it's a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful mass to go to uh, on the heels of the Triduum. uh, We have that Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday where we celebrate that Easter vigil, coming into the light of Christ and the celebration of the resurrection. Well, if you've ever been, what you do is you don't start Mass in the church because you started outside. And what happens is the all of the palms um, from Palm Sunday uh, are burnt in the fire. And so what St. Patrick did on what's now known as Mount Kirkpatrick, he lit this Easter fire that was meant to be a symbolism of the conversion, the beginning of the conversion of Ireland. And as he lights this Easter fire for the Easter vigil, it's a symbol very profoundly standing in the face of the pagan kings of the time, because the pagan kings at that time had a law that fires only lit as an act of worship by a Druid priest. But St. Patrick was reclaiming that fire, that God is the Lord of fire. And he was pushing back as he was a priest of our Lord Jesus Christ and the priesthood of Christ, and that he was going to light that fire to to lead to that catalyst of the conversion of Ireland. A fire representing the infinite heat and divine love of God. The story of our ancestors in faith of Moses, the burning bush. The fire that led the Egyptians out of, ca- or sorry, the Jews, the Israelites out of captivity from Egypt toward the promised land. The fire that we know and the story of, at Mount Carmel, between Elijah and the priests of Baal, where they challenge him in this moment of, they challenge Elijah in the, as a priest in the sacrifice, claiming all these great things that they can accomplish, and the great miracle there at Baal, Elijah calling upon the Lord to encompass and take up that sacrifice. And these are significant moments where St. Patrick is using fire as a symbolism for conversion. He uses his sacrifice in prayer intervening for the people of Ireland. And so that Easter fire that is, that is what lights a Paschal candle that we use on the altar all year long, this is a neat moment where we kind of tie in these elements of our faith, the story of St. Patrick. So I, starting a few years ago, we started a new tradition in our family to have a Easter fire on Holy Saturday, ushering us into the celebration of Easter, the Easter fire that is so important for the significance of our faith, the importance of fire. And God is a true ruler of the elements and the elements themselves, as the Druids were confused about, are not gods in and of themselves, but they are created and used by God. So, all of this leads me to a prayer that many of us know as the Lorica of St. Patrick or also known as the Breastplate of St. Patrick. Now, the Lorica of St. Patrick makes sense within the context of what St. Patrick was up against when it came to converting Ireland. He was up against Druidism. We're talking about the demonic influence rivaling the Aztecs. Now, the breastplate of St. Patrick, known as the Lorica, or even known as the morning prayer, is one of my favorite prayers to actually pray in the morning. I come in and out of incorporating it into my morning prayer as I change things up throughout the year. And this prayer is helping us to have a vision of creation that is subject to God. It's a moment of returning us to the Garden of Eden helping us to understand that original state of justice in terms of how man communicated, communed, and understood himself before God. And it leads us to the intercession of Jesus Christ and the cross in our life. And so that's what this prayer in many ways encompasses. It starts, I rise to the, today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through a belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of a creation. And it goes through talking about the strength that we have in Christ's birth and baptism, in his crucifixion and burial, through his resurrection and his ascension, the descent of Jesus to the judgment of doom. All of this we read going through the prayer, the lorica of St. Patrick talks about being protected through the intercession of angels, the intercession of the patriarchs and apostles and confessors and virgins and those righteous men who have walked before us. And how we're strengthened through heaven. And it even talks about a lot of the elements. I rise today through the strength of heaven, light of sun, splendor of fire, speed of lightning, swiftness of wind, depth of sea, stability of the earth, firmness of rock. All of this in God. Through God's strength, we read in the prayer to pilot us. God's might to uphold us. God's wisdom to guide us. And it it goes through all of the senses and all of the elements. All of those things that are fighting for our very life. Understanding that we are in a battle in our life with principality and powers. That the demonic influence is real. And that in Christ we are strong. And that this is a morning prayer to protect and preserve us. To make us humble in the perspective of us before creation us before God, and that we need him in the face of all that we will experience. That's why we literally read in the prayer, Christ in my eyes, Christ in my ears, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left. And it ends a prayer. If you've never prayed before, I hope you will go and find and find that full length version of the prayer. We'll post a link to it on social media as well as in the episode notes for today's show. But we read at the very end of the prayer, I rise today through a mighty strength of the invocation of the Trinity, through a belief in the threeness, through a confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. This is the prayer that St. Patrick has passed on to us as a means to combat what we'll experience in our day and our lifetime. And I think it's easy to think, well, we don't live at the time of the Druids. But in reality, we live today in a time where the battle for our soul is so profound and so sneaky behind the scenes with a demonic trying to influence us in a very, very sly way, that this is a prayer we should be incorporating into our homes, into our families, into our day-to-day prayer routine. So I hope you'll pick up that prayer and inspiration from St. Patrick on his feast day. St. Patrick, pray for us. We'll be right back talking about St. Joseph, how to celebrate his upcoming feast day, as well as knocking that argument on the back that, well, I'm pro-life, but I think that abortions should still be safe, legal, and rare. We're actually going to respond to that. So buckle up. We'll be right back here on Trending. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. If you missed it, I've shared some pretty incredible things about St. Patrick and his life and things you don't often hear about St. Patrick. So I hope you listen to the podcast. It will be available a little later this evening, wherever you catch your podcast, relevantradio.com. But the Relevant Radio app is one of the best places you can listen to all the programs here from trending, You can pause, play, you can even send it to a friend. So be sure to check out the app if you haven't already. Earlier in the show, I was joined by the co author of the book, uh, Chronicling the life of Michael Mansoor, a Navy SEAL who died, uh, later received Medal of Honor for having saved the lives of a number of men. I've known his story for years. I had no idea he was Catholic and the role his Catholic play faith, uh, the role his Catholic faith played in the ultimate sacrifice he made. So be sure to check out that book and listen to the episode where we discuss his. incredible Incredible, incredible story that's in this episode today as well in the podcast. Again, Relevant Radio app is an easy place to find that. Before we talk about ways to celebrate St. Joseph's Feast Day coming up in a couple days, I want to respond to something happening right now in this battle as Roe versus Wade has been overturned. Um, the majority of Americans really are pro-life, some 100% unwavering pro-life. There are a lot of those out there. They don't necessarily speak up, but there are a lot out there. But there are a lot of people in the middle ground who say, I'm pro-life, but. And there are any number of reasons why they claim they are not fully pro-life or would do nothing about it or might even vote in a pro-abortion way, even though they don't like abortion. Many of those people say that they still think that abortion should be, quote, safe, legal, and rare. Now, this used to be the mantra of the pro-abortion movement, and it has not been for a long time. It has not been, and although it may have been a mantra, it's never once been what they stood for and the laws that they have fought for and implemented or the way they have run and operated their abortion clinics. When someone says they want abortion to be safe, legal, and rare, they completely disregard how the abortion movement has functioned all of this time in the United States. The FDA, as we talked about yesterday here on Trending, approved chemical abortion back in 2000 without any safety controls, knowing it was more dangerous than surgical abortion. Yet today in 2023, we know with the limited statistical information on abortion that we have because most states do not have to report the number of abortions they perform such as California, among others. Most states don't report, but what we do know is that for those who do report, over 50% of all abortions today are chemical RU-486 abortions, also known as mifepristone. Uh, These abortions are so damaging for women's bodies, and the FDA approved this in 2000 because they wanted an all-access pass to abortion. All they cared about, those people, in high political positions, was that abortion was pushed as quickly as it could be, and as accessibly as possible. So when people claim that they want abortion to be safe, this has never actually been a part of the abortion movement, and anyone who's in the middle ground should actually advocate against this because it is not pro-woman. It is so damaging for a woman's body. So that whole argument, people want an abortion safe, if you want it safe actually know what's happening with abortion and speak up because what the FDA did and the fact that there are over 50% of abortion stay being eaten through chemical abortion is horrific. Not only do they argue that they want it safe, legal, and rare. Well, if they wanted abortion legal and, and for it to be safe and rare, they would not allow for states to allow for abortionists to operate, for example, a physician without a medical license a medical facility without medical licensing. They would require that abortion clinics meet basic ambulatory standards, being able to put a gurney through the doors, down the hallways, that the uh, abortion clinic would have Uh, access to a local hospital when things go wrong for emergencies within 30 30 miles even. A lot of these abortion clinics don't even have that, where they have, okay, something goes wrong, we'll immediately transfer, here's the plan, this is what we'll do. No, they don't, re- they don't require any of this legally. You're looking at states such as Michigan, California, Virginia, I think even New York. I know for sure Illinois as well, where you don't have to have a medical license to operate an abortion clinic. You don't even have to be a medical doctor to, op- to operate an abortion clinic. It's interesting. I was at a crisis pregnancy center a fundraiser last Friday. And the director of the abortion clinic, or sorry, the director of the Crisis Pregnancy Center uh, that functions uh, and helps give women sonograms, ultrasounds, um, pregnancy tests, and some of the earlier medical care in the pregnancy, they said, I will tell you exactly what a Crisis Pregnancy Center that's medical does. We operate with a medical license. And she goes down all of these things that they do. We operate under the guidance of a medical director, a licensed medical director. Abortion clinics are not required to do so. And even in those instances where they're operating without this and they should be, and a legal battle begins, often those abortion clinics prior to Roe versus Wade were allowed to continue to operate. Why? Because of a decision back in 1992 called Planned Parenthood versus Casey that claimed that there should be no undue burden placed on a woman to have access to abortion. And so, Even though the medical clinic, so-called abortion medical clinic, was operating with no medical license, without meeting basic health standards, it was allowed to stay open in the name of abortion. Not in the name of safety or health for women, not in the name of the law, and not in a way that would keep abortion rare. No, the goal of the pro-abortion movement is to have an all-access pass for any reason, for any condition, and for free for a woman to obtain an abortion. This is how sinister and dark the, the pro-abortion movement is. And that majority of people that stands in the middle claiming that they don't like abortion, they're pro-life, but they still want it to be safe, legal, and rare, and therefore they vote for pro-abortion politicians, or they favor pro-abortion laws, and maybe they even voted for them in California, Michigan, Virginia recently. They don't know. And this is why we have to talk about this, because when people have the real information, they are aghast at the reality of how devastating abortion is. And let's play their game. Let's say, okay, you want abortion safe, legal, and rare. Well, then you would at least expect that if it's safe, the person operating will at least have a medical license and meet basic medical standards. If you wanted to be safe, you'd want to make sure that any person performing an abortion would first do a pelvis exam, making sure this woman is supposedly a candidate for an abortion procedure because abortions can actually do terrible harm to a woman's body and a pelvis exam should be done. This is actually a United Nations standard that a pelvis exam is actually supposed to take place before an abortion, but we don't even follow the standards of the United Nations recommended. Not to mention, if a woman has an RU486 chemical abortion and she has an ectopic tubal pregnancy, that is life-threatening for the woman, both now and later on. It's also, if we want abortion to be safe, legal, and rare, it's not safe, given the psychological fallout that occurs for a woman, both psychologically and in her future and current relationships. Aren't we all about mental health today? Well, then we shouldn't be advocating for abortion because it's not safe, it's never functioned in a legal way, and it's not been pushed in our country as rare. So that should help us to really be able to engage in those arguments when people make that claim. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Coming up is St. Joseph's Feast Day. It's the 19th, but it's being pushed in the celebration to the 20th because you can't celebrate this feast day on a Sunday. Uh, But St. Joseph's Feast Day, as we're coming up on the celebration of it, I really want to encourage you to embrace this awesome feast day. Uh, Some neat ways to do that, we're going to Mass as a family. Maybe even go to Adoration if you can. Uh, Remember that St. Joseph uh, was the first to uh, attend that adoration chapel of the holy dwelling of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, his home was the dwelling of Christ. And so go to adoration honor of St. Joseph. Ponder the mystery that St. Joseph literally witnessed in adoration and adored before our Lord. There's some neat things about a St. Joseph's table. I'll post a link to that in the episode notes and on social media. Uh, seven sorrows and seven joys of St. Joseph are really neat to break down and talk to your family about the life and story of St. Joseph. And you can do that with prayer at the same time. So I'll post the link in the episode notes to where I discussed that as well. Coming up next is a family rosary across America. Have a great weekend. This is Timree from Trending with Timree. Join me Monday for our weekly happy hour. I'm going to talk about the New Age and the Law of Attraction. Many people seek both of these out to help make them happier, to improve their lives, but do they really? Where does the New Age and Law of Attraction collide with our Catholic faith? We'll discuss that, so join me daily, 6 p.m. Central, on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.